0: My name is Gianni Russo, AKA Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from the Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Experimenting with cures, I tried every one. Felt everything in my right, but my left was numb. Walking with a limp, like will I ever run? Once again, or oh, is this it? Am I
1: forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun.
2: Some people were cool, but not everyone. On January 15th, 1947, the city of Los Angeles was sent into a panic after the body of 22-year-old Medford Mass native Elizabeth Short was found surgically bisected at the waist, drained of blood, and bizarrely mutilated on a vacant lot. This infamous murder inspired the largest manhunt in LAPD history and captured national headlines. But police investigators failed to capture the identity of the person responsible for her murder, for whom the media called the Black Dahlia. Our guest this week is retired LAPD homicide detective Steve Holdell, who has worked worked on more than 300 murder cases and has achieved one of the highest solve rates on the force during his 25 years as an LAPD detective. After he retired, he launched his own investigation into the Black Dahlia murder, which led him to a shockingly unexpected perpetrator. His own father, Dr. George Holdell, is also author author of The Black Dahlia Avenger, as well as many other books on this fascinating murder. Retired LAPD detective Steve Holdell joins us. Steve, first of all, thank you for joining us this afternoon.
3: Great to be with you, Mike. Um, Steve, so that's fun. an
0: amazing intro. Jeez. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm so excited. I am a crime uh junkie and I uh-huh. have been for so so long. I grew up watching Gianni on the Rockford Files. So telling <laughs> <laughs> my age, but that, that I, was I
0: fictitious I, crime, fortunately.
1: <laughs> well, I'll I think you're the youngest
3: one excited. here, Jeannie. Well, <laughs>
2: So, Steve, for everybody people that know, don't know your background, give a little brief description of your background, real quick.
3: Born in Los Angeles, uh, joined the Navy at 17 for four years, got out. And back then, we're, we're talking about in the early 60s. And, uh, you know, uh, a young uh, white male, what do they do? They become a cop. So I joined LAPD in 63, um, went through the academy. Uh, basically did five years in patrol, uniform patrol. And then I graduated to detectives, worked all the tables, sex crimes, juvenile, burglary, robbery, and then eventually, uh, you know, moved over to homicide. Now you did the Manson murders. Did you do the Manson murders? No, no, they, they were on our watch, but downtown LA, I was assigned to Hollywood division. I think on the East coast, you call them precincts. Okay. but I was assigned to one of the 18 divisions, Hollywood, Homicide. And basically, I stayed at Hollywood for 17 years, had over 300 murder investigations, did have one of the highest solve rates in the city. But it wasn't just me. It was, it was kind of a dispirited de core. We had a great bunch of guys there, three or four of us. And then uh, basically retired in 86 and moved north to Bellingham, Washington, and uh took my kids i had a boys were about what six and eight something like that moved up there and uh basically was enjoy. i got a pi license was doing defense work you know went to the dark side as as McC- as Connolly would say mm-hmm. and uh worked primarily crime uh defense uh for for uh, criminal cases and um basically uh my dad, had, and, you know, to understand this story, we have to kind of go into heavy biographics on my father, but to really understand it. But basically, he moved back from Asia in 1990 to San Francisco. And I hooked, and I was close to my father. as He wasn't a warm fuzzy, but I was as close as you could be. And I'd go down to see him in San Francisco. He'd come up to Bellingham. So now if he was a
0: surgeon. What kind of a doctor was he?
3: He was a, well, he was a medical doctor and then he had an MD, but he did, in his early days, he was a surgeon. He uh, was at a log, worked at a logging camp, did sole surgeon there, and uh, then got into kind of VD was his specialty and uh, became the uh, head of LA County Health Department. Uh, did you say, near,
1: what did you say you just specialized in?
3: Venereal disease control.
1: I thought maybe I missed, I, okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. so oh,
0: you about- know why we've never experienced that that's why we That's right. <laughs>
1: never heard of it. so Well, but you know, so I just want to <laughs> clarify.
3: Yeah. Well, we're talking about now we're talking about the 1940s. He was there. So from, you know, he actually from t- the 1920s forward he was in LA Hollywood. He got his doctors he got his MD in, in 36. George George Hill Hodell was born in Los Angeles too. Uh, downtown uh basically fifth and main near there uh right near the Biltmore. Um he was an only child. He his parents uh he lived in Pasadena South Pasadena um he was uh highly gifted his IQ was uh, 186 one point above Einstein incidentally wow. that skips a generation so my <laughs> my boys are in good shape uh, uh basically uh High IQ, uh, blew all of his fellow students out of the water in everything. Um, basically uh, was a piano prodigy, played piano concerts at the Shrine Auditorium at the age of nine. Um, was taken in Madame Montessori school. His mother took him over to Europe. He went to Madame Montessori's for a year, came back, and basically went through South Pass high school, entered Caltech at the age of 15 um not only was he a musical prodigy and highly intelligent he was also very sexually precocious or advanced for his age let's say and he had an affair with a professor's wife at caltech and she got pregnant and i like this guy already yeah. I'm sure we, even, we haven't even got into his life yet.
1: Yeah, I'm Bro- starting sure to see why he was uh, specialized in VD.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he he really was obsessed with sex, and basically uh, got into. Uh, he she broke up her marriage. She goes back east to right in the Boston area. He goes back, says, "I love you. I want to marry you." She the woman looks at him and says, "George, you're a child yourself. Get out of my life." He comes back and uh, basically is kicked out of Caltech for the scandal. He gets a fake ID and he passes himself off at 21. He's 17 now. And he gets a job as a cabbie and he's driving out of the Biltmore downtown. Strangely enough, one of his fellow cab drivers is a young guy going to law school by the name of William H. Parker, who who will become our most famous police chief, William yeah. Parker, uh, later on. Anyway, George gets a job as a young cub reporter uh, for an L- the L.A. Record, which was a prominent newspaper, and he starts writing these tabloid crime reports. He's riding around with LAPD uh, Vice, and they're kicking doors, and they're arresting the judge with a young blonde <laughs> and uh, writing these Tabloid stories. Then he graduates and starts writing around with LAPD homicide and writes the, again tabloid stories about the bloody Ace of Spade next to the body, that sort of thing. And um, so basically he's he's buddies with it. An, and uh, Gianni, you may know, I don't know if you ever had any contact with John Huston, the famous film director. Of course I did. I mean, did you?
0: Always, his, okay. His daughter, Angelica, all of them shit. Yeah. Mom. Oh, oh, I question? love John Houston. Um he, yeah, he's
3: he was one of the greatest. Yeah. Gianni
1: and, wasn't wasn't uh, he the one that picked up uh, the Taylor? What was his name? We did a podcast about him just recently, and he was, Oh yeah.
0: The, he, he, yeah, AJ Pratt. AJ Pratt.
1: AJ Pratt. Do you know oh, that? Yeah,
0: he hired just, AJ Pratt as the he wardrobe. He picked
1: him guy. up at the side of the road.
3: Yep. Really. Wow. Anyway, so John is now at the, back then in the in the twenties. John is a. Close friends with dad. George and John are buddies. And they're double dating. And at that time, John was just the son of a famous actor, Walter Houston, his father, who was doing stage and screen. And uh so dad, so George and John are double dating, and George is dating a woman by the name of Dorothy. And John is dating a woman by the name of Emilia A couple of weeks go by, and John falls in love with Dorothy, so they switch. John and Dorothy run off to uh Greenwich Village, over <laughs> on your guys' side of town, and oh. basically um, get married. And uh they're married for seven years. Their marriage breaks up. Dorothy comes back, hooks back up with George, who's um now uh who, who basically, well, in but before they hook back up, Emily and George have an affair and she gets pregnant they go north and he enters pre-med at Berkeley. And he goes across to UCSF and gets his medical degree at San Francisco. And they have a child. They have two children. They have a child in 20, 1928. And then they have a, a, Duncan. And then they have a Tamar who comes along in 35, a girl. So anyway, he leaves her. He goes and starts doing surgery at a logging camp in uh, New Mexico. And, uh, Anyway, eventually, I won't go through all the details, but he comes back to L.A., Dorothy breaks up with John, they hook back up, and my older brother Mike is born in 39, I come along in 41, and my younger brother Kelly's 42. Dad's joined L.A. County Health, he quickly rises to the top, becomes head of L.A. County Health, specializing in venereal disease, and... uh, he buys a famous... Now, you guys may be familiar with the Southern House, which is a kind of a Mayan-looking yeah. temple in very Hollywood. Yeah, eccentric,
2: very eccentric-looking house.
3: Yeah, it was built by Frank Lloyd Wright Jr., Lloyd Wright. Anyway, it's this Mayan temple in the heart of Hollywood. It looks like a set.
2: Is that, It looks like the one from the um, House on Haunted Hill, the Vincent Price movie. It looks sort
3: of like that. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. I, I don't... No, I think that was another one. That was in San Francisco. Uh, anyway, we all move the, so we're the three little princes. Mom's the queen and dad's the king and we all move into this house in Hollywood. Everything's going fine until 1949 and there's a knock on the door and it's LAPD and the, Dr. Odell, yes, you're under arrest for incest. Oh. So they arrest, yeah. Remember Tamar was born? Well, she's 14. She came down That summer of '49, and uh, basically uh, he had a sex party with her and about four other adults. They all kind of—it was a kind of a you know swapping, swapping. And uh, anyway, he gets arrested, and uh, there's a big trial and a scandal, and uh, he gets Jerry Geisler, who was kind of the Johnny Cochran of that day. Yeah, he worked for a lot of the studios back then. They used to say, "Get guys, get geezer. Guy, what's his, his name? Get me, get me, Jerry, get me Geesler. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He all the he represented all the stars: Marilyn Monroe, you know, Robert Mitchum, all of them. Johnny Stappinato, there. What's her name? The actress? Uh, yeah.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I mean, Laura. Uh, what's
2: the name? Our
0: uh, daughter killed Johnny. In fact,
2: yes, yes, the one that killed the killed Johnny
3: Stappinato. There. Yeah, right. yeah. Didn't they develop a new dance though? The stomp and auto stomp—that's where the girls cut <laughs> in. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Anyway.
1: Oh, oh, oh that's terrible. <laughs> Lana Turner,
3: Lana Turner, Lana, Lana there Turner. we go. Yep.
1: Oh, Jackie. Yeah.
3: Break it up once in a while. Yeah. So, da- Dad has a trial. It's a t- three-week trial, and Dad uh, basically Jerry Ge- Geisler paints Tamar as a pathological liar. You know, even though they had three adults present during the sex acts. And uh, anyway, he beats the case. Later, we'll find out there was a payoff. So dad is a, we're now into 1950. Dad splits the country and goes to Asia, reinvents himself as a market researcher, marries a Filip, wealthy Filipina and uh, has four more kids, uh, breaks up with that marriage after three or four years, hooks up with his secretary, a young fil- uh, Japanese woman, June, Um, they get married, they come back to LA, move to San Francisco, fast forward 10 years. I see him for that last 10 years. We become close. He dies. Okay. Um, so I go down and do all the things you have to do when a father passes and I'm talking to June and she says, I think your father would want you to have this. She gives me a small album. I opened the album and it's got photographs of my mom and us boys. And then I'm going through it, and here's a semi-nude reclining woman, with young woman with dark hair. And I said to June, "Who's this?" She said, "I don't know. Somebody your father knew from a long time ago." And for this to this day, Gianni, I have no idea why Black Dahlia came to mind, but it kind of came into my mind and passed out, and that was it. My- it just left. Two or three days later, I'm on the phone to Tamar, who is now living in Hawaii. And I haven't talked to her in 50 years. You know, she went her way. She kind of spun out, became best friends with Michelle Phillips and the Mamas and Papas. And they did the whole San Francisco scene and um, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I kind of went another direction. And um, anyway, we're talking about... <laughs> this great man and his remarkable life. And I'm on the phone with her and she, out of nowhere, she says, well, you know, he was a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. And I'm saying, where in the F is this coming from, Tamar? What are you talking about? Like I said, I've had maybe 20 minutes of conversations in 20, 50, 40 years with her. Anyway, she says, yeah, he didn't do it. But when they were taking me to trial in the on the incest, the officer said they believed he would, he killed the Black Dahlia. I said, no way. I'll be able to show he had nothing to do with this in 10 minutes. So I start getting into it. And I, di- I didn't know a lot about the Black Dahlia murder. I knew it was a famous unsolved from the 40s, but I was in the 60s and moving forward. I didn't really much care about the 40s. And we'd seen the photos at the police academy going through. And that was it. I didn't even know her name, Elizabeth Short. So I start getting into it and, uh, uh, basically it all comes together. I, I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been doing it for 17 years as a homicide detective. The evidence all falls in place. And I go in secret to the head DA down there, a guy named Steve Kaye, who was co-counsel with Bugliosi on the Manson case, Mike. Yeah, he's still around. And he reviews it and he says, you know, based on your evidence and all of your findings, I would file two counts of murder. And the second shock was he was a serial murderer. There were about a dozen lone woman murders unsolved. And I, I make it, make a case for about 10 of them. Wow. Yeah. And, so uh, your own father oh, was involved about, yeah. in
0: 10 other murders. Say again. So your dad was involved in 10 other murders.
3: Yes. At least 10. And, and that started the rabbit holes. And, um, basically, he came back and said, well, I would file on two of these murders and I would win them in court. He says, the others, you're probably right. But he says, there's not quite enough evidence. So with that, uh, basically, I said, okay, well, I'll go ahead and publish the book. I'll write it up and publish it. So I came out in 2003 with a book. And, you know, all the shows, did all all the television interviews and all that. And basically did a presentation to LAPD and uh, I and Steve K, this DA did, uh, showing them it was a dead band case on him. And um, basically uh, that's where it went for a couple of years. And then the proverbial stuff hit the fan and we discovered that there was a secret file in the DA, locked away in the DA's safe that got opened, and we discover he was the prime suspect all along. Wow. His name did it. They bugged his house for six weeks. They got confessions from him, tape-recorded confessions from him. Uh, you know, he says, suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. My secretary's dead. And he killed his secretary, and they he was investigated for that years certainly. Anyway, there's just too much to go into on detail, but, but basically... The tape recordings uh, and there were payoffs to the police and you got to understand LAPD back then was very corrupt uh I mean the east coast Chicago New York they were all really very corrupt back then and um yeah it was like a real life LA confidential you know it, more 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 than we know you know it's my sister no it's my daughter it's my <laughs> anyway um so basically, so when, he pit, he, when you found out,
0: he already died.
3: Oh, yeah. I just, I, none of this started until he he died. I was, I, I had no clue. I was close to my father. I, you know, none of this, once he died and I came into, I started looking at it to show he had nothing to do with it. That's when, the that's when everything started opening up.
0: Well, let's touch on that a minute. I mean, that in itself had to be a shock. Here's a guy who's your father. You thought you knew him. You were close to him. Could you share some of that, with with'? yeah,
3: yeah, I I Jenny, I've been through every possible emotion you can think of. Um, anger, hatred, depression, uh you know, initially, I said that it wasn't possible. and so you got two things. you got the son who loves his father, right? and his his father was very mysterious. A lot of this stuff I had no idea until I got into the investigation. So you got a loving son who's pursuing and wanting to know more about his mysterious father. He was never a warm fuzzy, but he was always large and in charge. And he had this beautiful speaking voice, kind of like Richard Burton. And he was a handsome. Women were you know, madly in love with him. Every every woman he ever met fell in love with him. And he was a, he, a married five women, 11 children. you know. So he had all of this charisma and charm. And then there was the cop, the trained homicide investigator on the other side who was, who was pursuing and trained to, and knowing what he's doing to follow a case. So you had this, I would have this parallel uh, investigation going on that took me three years before I made my case. And I was sure I was gonna clear him and I made the mistake of following the evidence. And it took me in 180 degrees in the opposite direction Oh that
0: that hadn't I didn't realize you you thought he was innocent. Absolutely. Well you were
2: absolutely. trying to you were trying to disprove him. Right.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I said there's no way. I mean, dad, it is false. And mostly it was sex. And I and I definitely knew that that, that on the uh, with Tamar the sex and the incest occurred. Uh, there was no doubt in my mind. But, you know, a horrific torture, kidnap, torture, murder and it was I've had 300 cases and I've never had a case that even came close to the extended torture and the things that were done to Elizabeth Short. So uh, I I was sure that he was totally incapable of doing something like that. So far, audience... out was he he was a supreme sadist and misogynist, uh, a misanthrope. He hated society. He ha- you know, all of this was about revenge and anger. Uh, and he's the one that called in the black dahlia avenger he he was taunting the press he was sending in notes you know which i handwriting i recognized as my own father's i mean you know your parents handwriting yeah I know my parents handwriting, and uh that was one of the things that was a real shocker was when he he sent in at least a dozen notes on the dahlia case and he has Mike,
0: hold your thought up. let's go to the commercial break a minute we'll be right back Steve, okay. this is an amazing and probably one of the best stories we ever had on our show. Thank you. One second. We'll be right sure. back. Absolutely. Don't go nowhere. We know where you live. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just want to tell my fans out there on April 13th and 14th, I'll be at the Doubletree Hilton in Fairview at a new convention that I'll be the, at the first one and so far six more to come called paisano Con. we finally got an Italian convention going <laughs> it's for two days there's going to be more oil and garlic over that convention center you can't believe it make sure you show up remember April 13th 14th at the Double Tree Hilton in Fairview just go there get the information or go on paisancon.com okay thank you all right we're
3: back okay, okay. we're back
1: Alright
3: so, you want me to talk a little bit about Elizabeth Short the victim
1: Wait wait I okay I have a question for you well, sure. Oh go, go, no, go, go ahead go ahead I'm dying just just can we please announce I listened to Root of Evil um fantastic I was just fascinated and and I love when I'm looking at those or listening to those podcasts I'm always stopping to google what you know the house or this or that and what was your first clue? Let
0: me, that- one second,
3: yeah. So, so I am the Night came out, which was a a series with uh, Pine and I forget the actress's name. Uh, uh, but anyway, it was a four, five, or six part s- series, and it was supposedly uh, you know the, about the black tally stuff. Well, I didn't know anything about it until I saw the trailer. I did, I had nothing to do with it. I uh, it was made uh, by uh, I'm blanking on, who's the superwoman that hey, the super superwoman, the the director, producer. Anyway, she was I'm blanking on her name. But anyway, uh it was it came out and it was 95% fiction. Uh wow. so they approached me and they said, you know, we're doing this root of evil sh- r- show 10-part series. And we need you to, 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 we want to do the truth. And I said, I don't want any part of it. I, you know, it's all mis- you know, I said, no, no, we'll come, we're gonna do the real deal. Finally convinced the producer convinced me uh to, to take part in it, which I did, and I'm really glad. I hope It, with did, money it too, though. <laughs> it, set, it set the record straight uh for the most part. And it was 95 percent true. So Root of Evil came out and it was it was very well done. And um, you know, but there are a lot of there are a lot of myths about the Black Dahlia. There's a reason why it's LA's most notorious case you know and there are three myths there's a one was the missing week the the legend goes that she she was dropped off at the biltmore hotel in downtown la and the the uh they saw her leave out the back the front door into the fog and she was gone for uh nine days until her body appeared on a vacant lot severed in half she was surgically bisected. Uh, that's the first myth uh, that I I I, disp- I dispose of, which there was no missing week. I came up with 14 witnesses that saw her every day of that week published in the papers. Hey, correct, um,
2: me if correct me if I'm wrong. There was also another myth that she came out, like a lot of beautiful women back then, came out to LA, Los Angeles to become an actress. Was she an actress or no?
3: No, okay. she she was never involved in that. That's, that's a big myth too, that she was never involved in pictures. What it was, was back then, you know, some of the guys hitting on her said, hey, you're beautiful, you ought to be in pictures, you know, but it wasn't her. She was basically a rather naive 24-year-old young lady during the war that wanted to marry and fall in love with Lieutenant Wright and live happily ever after. And she had some, some psychological problems of her own. She tended to lie a bit and stuff. But basically, she was a, you know, a Medford girl that just, wanted to fall in love and, and live happily ever after.
2: My hometown, that's where I grew up.
3: Yeah, great.
2: Where, I, where'd you grow up? Same town as the Black Dahlia, Medford, Medford. Massachusetts. But which? Medford, which? Massachusetts. Oh, Medford, Massachusetts, okay. There's actually a big pla- a big stone right where her house used to be for the Black Dahlia down there,
3: pretty cool. Yeah, so the second myth was that, that uh, it was a standalone murder, none before and none after. I present a dozen cases that were related. It was a serial crime. There's no doubt about that. And the third myth is the case was never solved. And that's the biggie, because what I discovered was that there were high-ranking LAPD and, and uh, DA's officers that, that solved it. They identified George Hodel, and they locked it away and hid it. And you say, why would they do that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he was what they called a high jingo back then. Gianni, have you ever heard that term hijingo? It it's it's basically untouchable.
1: Oh.
3: A, a guy that's got so much stuff on so many people that he, he's oh. untouchable.
1: And he George was
3: him? a hijingo. Oh well, George was, okay. Yeah, he had he had performed abortions for, you know, which was illegal and you went to prison for five years back then. He had performed abortions for the The police guys and their girlfriends that got in trouble. Okay, so he had
0: stuff on other people.
3: He did. He had a lot of stuff on a lot of people. And um, there was. Then we also learned once we get into the secret DA Odell tapes that there were payoffs, payoffs to the DA's office during the trial and prosecution and stuff. And um, so basically, uh, that's kind of it. She she was. uh, There were a lot of myths about her. Uh, most of which were not true. She was not a druggie. She didn't drink. She uh, was just a pe- basically a simple girl from Medford, Mass. You know, and uh, um, a lot of books have painted her as a prostitute and giving sex in back alleys. All BS. You
0: know? So, how many how many books or and and TV shows were you directly involved in about this this subject?
3: A lot. <laughs> um, they basically, you know, once once the book came out, it was became a New York Times bestseller. So, you know, uh, it was kind of headlines because it was so notorious here in L.A. And I did, you know, kind of all all the circuit, the TV stuff. Were you the sole author? Yes, I was the sole author. You have the new book out now, Steve. I do. So so basically I've written nine books and they're all kind of like one ongoing homicide investigation. In other words, adding more and more evidence to not only the Black Dahlia, but other crimes uh, all over. And um, what I discovered was, and well, I knew this as I was going into it, dad didn't start in the 1940s and wake up one morning and say, I think I'll be a serial killer. He started as a teenager and never stopped. So I published the early years, his crimes in the 20s, Uh, part two is the book two is the 30s, and then... All of these in the 40s. And now I've just come out in November with um Black Dahlia Adventure 4, which was my first uh adventure into let's call it say historical fiction. Everything is true, all the facts are true, but the care what I do is I wanted to give a voice to the victims. You know, all of the vi- all of the murdered victims never had a voice. They never had a chance to speak out. So what I did was I made a trial. By the quick and the dead, and I, I put it in the Hall of Justice in downtown Los Angeles. And basically, um, I don't know if you can see this or not. Let's see. Can, can you see this? Oh yeah. And, and basically, it, it's uh, I did uh, audio book and ebook and and print book. And BDA Ford goes. It's a trial. We put George on trial for his crimes, and we bring back the witnesses from the other side. And we have a ghost judge, and we have a ghost uh, prosecutor, and some living. I'm 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 the investigator for the prosecutor, so I'm alive. I think am I alive still? Tell me, no. I, yeah, I'm still heard very much right? of <laughs> Okay. And uh, we have I bring in some living witnesses, and a lot of and bring in all of the victims to testify about their crimes, what he did. So for me, it was, me it was a, a lot How's of fun
0: actually.
3: Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I, I think it's, and I pretty much include all of the evidence from the other books. So basically, it was actually, I wanted to give the victims a voice. And I couldn't figure out any way to do it other than this. And I think it works pretty good. I'm, I'm real happy with it.
0: And and when did it come out? November.
3: November. So oh, just How's it up. doing in sales, though? Do Say again? Have-
0: how is it doing in sales? Well,
3: I, I self-published this uh, because oh, it's, okay. it's a long book. And if you if you go to a, one of the big publishers, what happens is they cut it down to it's oh, eighty yeah, pages. And they would cut that down to 250 to 300. Yeah. You know, they see the dollar signs. So that's one of the reasons I did it. I didn't do this to make money. I did this to get the truth out there. And I'm not going to be around forever. So I wanted to document... As much as I could, uh, and speak for the victims, Steve. If Where'd I can ask, go ahead, Jeannie.
1: I just wondered where they could get those books, where our audience can. Amazon, can, uh, Amazon. Perfect. Yeah,
3: Amazon. Uh, they, and it's and the audio book is amazing. Um, it was. It's narrated by a guy named Malcolm Hillgartner, and he is the best. He's done about four or five of my books, and it's it's not a narration; it's a performance. Wow. And he he really brings it alive. So I would highly recommend the audio book. Print book's great too because it's got all the photos, which you're not going to get on the audio. Wow. So buy the audio and and, and or buy the audio. And listen to it with the print book.
2: <laughs> and, See, real quick, I want to circle back. I don't how much time we have left. Yeah. Can you take our audience back to January fifteenth, nineteen forty seven, and real quick explain what you think happened between your dad and her? How it came about, real quick.
3: Well, we know hours before she was murdered, a policewoman from uh, downtown working a footbeat downtown LA uh, sees her come out with with a, two men and a woman. And she had had prior contact with her earlier in that day, a few hours before, where she came running out and said, a man threatened to kill me. And wow. they they went back to got her purse and the man was gone. So this was the second, second contact with her and she sees her, and she goes over and says, "Are you all right?" And she says, "Yeah, I'm going to meet my dad at the bus depot, which was just a few blocks away." So she's seen with these two men and a woman. That's the last she's seen, and from there they go to the the Franklin house, she, you know. And um, basically, uh, she it's extended torture for four hours, um, and it's it's beyond horrific. I've never had a crime scene. Uh, I've never had a crime that comes anywhere close to it. And, and I don't think, I don't know if you want me to go into the details or not, but, but only a doctor could sur- So he didn't cut the bone. There was no bones cut. The, the procedure is actually an operation called a hemicorporectomy. And they knew from the get go that it had to be a highly skilled surgeon because uh, you, it's the only way you can go through. I have a picture here of it, but it's the only way you can go through the body without sawing through bone and it was and there was no severing uh, there was no uh they knew that it had to be a scalpel and that it was um a professional job so that limits your suspect rule right there right. the fact that it's a surgeon the skilled surgeon and no
1: and, blood and, on the scene right Is
3: that
1: there was no blood on the scene as well right.
3: all the blood had been drained in the, right. bath, the, in, in the bathtub in our home and and the two parts were transported on cement sacks, paper sacks, large cement sacks. And I was actually able to link the cement sacks to our home by receipts okay. I found in Lloyd Jeez. Frank Lloyd Wright Jr.'s uh, file. He had a file on Hodell, and in that, on um, three days before the murder, there's the cement sacks were purchased <laughs> for some repairs at the Franklin house. So, so what,
1: was, what was your first clue that you thought, oh no? This wasn't
3: what I was expecting. Uh, Well, I guess it was the handwriting, which was published on the front page. The note that said, I'm turning myself in on January 29th. Had my fun at the police, signed Black Dahlia Avenger. And that that handwriting was undisguised. And it was hand printing, very unusual printing, that I recognize as my father's. So that was the first thing. But I said, no, there's got to be some other explanation. It can't be. So that was the first. And uh, of and many. How
0: long, how long had you been dead when you started this investigation and realized it was him?
3: Well, it was just a few days when my ta- when Tamar said he was a suspect of the Black Dahlia murder. That phone call was like two days after he died. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that started wow. me on, on it. And I spent the next three years pursuing it. Mm. It's yeah,
1: hard to mourn your dad while you're finding all of this stuff thinking, what what have I stumbled into? Well,
0: Maybe. it probably gave me the energy to go try to prove him innocent.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: at first.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I really was. I'm confident that I would be able to establish his innocence. So wow, it's been a hell of a journey, and, and it's been nine books, and, and uh, I've just recently moved from Los Angeles, my hometown, up to... Uh, Birch Bay, Washington, which is kind of the Northwest corner of the United States. I'm about six miles from the Canadian border. And I got myself you're a little fugitive? dog you now. <laughs> Are you we, a fugitive? Are you leaving us? Yeah. Well, you know, my two, my two sons, one lives in Seattle, one lives in Bellingham. And they say, dad, come on, it's time to stop. You're 82 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and I said, okay, maybe you're right. Well, so, I I get
0: yeah. that I'm I'm 81 and they keep telling me why do you keep doing what I'm doing because we have fun with it what else are we gonna do
3: exactly you know you know yeah I I uh, I'm I'm there may be one more book <laughs> i try trying not to uh, do it but uh, I enjoy it up here it's very very different from L.A. And oh my uh, God yeah like, if you oh, ever yeah. want to get rid of that Maltese Falcon behind you I'm your guy <laughs> Did I tell you that's oh, one of the origin- no that's funny, yeah. <laughs> i wish yeah and that's the other amazing connection the maltese falcon you know who designed that dad's best friend and and an accomplice in some of his murders a guy by the name of fred sexton who john had who was friends with john and george back then and houston had him design that and he made that he was an artist and he made that uh uh, for uh, maltese falcon i think they made about five or six of them
2: Gianni, did you did you both of you, Steve and Gianni, did you ever hear this story about John Huston back when he was coming up as a director? Clark Gable was a massive star, uh, big box office draw. So he's Clark Gable was drunk one night and he got in a car accident. He killed somebody. Oh, so,
0: yeah, so they
2: called you know they called Geesler at the studios, whatever they had, whoever they called, and they got John Huston to sit in as the driver. So you know we'll we'll give you some big you know big directing jobs. So he took the rap because he was like a young kid back then. So Clark Gable couldn't take the pinch. If you look that up, that's that's a true
3: story. Really? I mean, I was aware of John's accident killing somebody. Okay. But
2: I never heard yeah. the look other time. Yeah, Claude Gable. I'm sorry, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. No, I'm sorry, Claude Gable. I always get it mixed up. Claude yeah. Gable. Claude Gable. Really? That, you got me confused. Who did it? Sorry. Okay, Clark, who did it? Clark Gable. Yeah, because he was Gable. drunk one night and he killed somebody. And they had him take the rap for him. Because you know, he was an up and coming director. And they said, listen, well, he's the studio. Party. The
0: studio will do anything. There, there, no, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they a- were really dirty back then. Oh, I got, I
3: I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little anecdote on my mother. So she's married to Houston for seven years, right? And he, he's filming. Your mother tra- was married to John Houston? Yeah, for seven years. Oh and, my God. This is You insane. missed
1: flipping that in. Now back up. She was married to who?
3: John Houston. J- John Your mother? Houston. She was his John's first wife. She was married. They were married seven years. And uh, yeah, they said, ran, remember that. they ran off to Greenwich Village as a double dating? Well, but, you didn't, oh, you, no, you no, didn't okay. mention his last name. You said you ran off with John. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. John oh, used it. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. so anyway, here's the story. Uh, he's, he's filming Treasure of Sierra Madre. And there's that scene with a little boy who turns out to be Robert Blake, right? The little Mexican boy. Right. And they're filming that. And the lottery tickets and stuff, and it. And John says, goes to Dorothy, and he says, you know, this is the dialogue sucks. You got three young boys that age, Dorothy. Will you write it? Well, Mom was a screenwriter, and so she wrote that scene in the lottery in the bar. And uh, he says, that's it. That's perfect. And uh, uh, she she never got credit for it, but she, she wrote There's that. So much scene. great great history of. I mean, so many things. Jeez. Yeah, there are. It's just you know, it, if you went to some director with this and said and laid it out to him, just kind of like in a three-minute pitch, and say, "Get the f out of here!" You know, this guy's insane. You know, and, uh, and you
1: have to have a whiteboard going to keep like, up it's like with. Like
0: Gump, Boris Gump meets the world. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh God!
1: So, how many um, half brothers and sisters did you uh, end up with? Because George was 11? So
3: their dad fathered 11 children and, and I had two full brothers and actually I was a twin, but John, some call him Gio, Gianni, but John uh didn't make it. He lived three weeks and, and died yeah, and we were in incubators. We were like three pound babies. Can you believe that? Anyway, oh, wow. anyway, uh, so two full brothers and the rest were half brothers and half sisters.
1: Wow. Yeah.
3: Wow
0: incredible story uh, thank you so much for coming on man we, oh, we have, to have you on again i'm sure we could yeah
2: it goes back to the zodiac killer it's it, there's so much stuff go, going on um just google steve Hodell, go to amazon check out his books it's a fascinating story it gets deeper and deeper you know you just can't get you can't get enough of it it's amazing So you should be commended for your what you did and um so i uh, thank you for bringing it on that show well, thanks a
3: lot. Been a pleasure talking with the three of you. Oh, thank well, you so it, much.
1: It's amazing that you had the courage to to out your dad after after you were going to prove him innocent, and then after you found all that, to be able to go, all right, I'm going to just tell the truth instead of covering that up.
3: Well, that's what I did for that's what I did for 25 years, and I wasn't going right. to change.
1: <laughs> well, it's fantastic. Well, thank I you love for everything.
0: sharing it, and we we appreciate you coming on. And you're welcome to come on anytime you'd like. You, Thanks a you know lot, Mike's number, and please. I yeah. appreciate it. Don't
1: Especially
2: forget the man.
0: don't forget the falcon. <laughs> Get what the falcon. <laughs>
2: don't forget the falcon
0: behind. <laughs> okay.
1: Pleasure right. meeting thank you. Thank you. Thank you so Hi, much.
0: Steve. Thank you. All right. It was another great episode of Hollywood Godfather podcast. I want to thank Jeannie first, the lady, Mike, our new co-host. Thank God you joined us, and. uh this is what's coming up, man. So you send your cards and letters, some requests for new shows. Obviously, we have an encyclopedia of cinema history now with us, the
2: Hollywood Kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. So guys, um, you, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, subscribe, hit the thumbs up button. That's what we need. We need audience involvement. Write your letters. Go to HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Answer questions. Johnny, Johnny's Johnny's an almanac. I'm Hollywood history. I mean, it's amazing. So I anything can get answered from Gianni or Genie or myself. And you?
0: How about you? Are you myself?
2: Yeah, I gotta tell my. I'm trying to be modest, you know. But screw that. No, no money and modesty, you know. Oh, hello. So hey, that's hey, it. Don't
1: get, oh, sorry. Go
2: ahead. Finish. Well, up. Just uh, spread the word out there on social media. Share our stuff. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Tell all your enemies. We're here every Wednesday.
1: That's exactly. That's right. And another thing is, you can share the episodes. Just look for the button. You can share whether it be podcast or on YouTube. So share it amongst your friends. And and that was a fascinating story. And if you've ever, uh, I you learn a little more every time. And I'll tell you the You'd first like time I one, ever heard I him. I
2: love that one, Jeannie. I know
0: you're. A oh, speaker.
1: thank you. You know it's right up my alley. I loved it. What a great time. Thank you. All right.
0: Well, thank you all. And we're going to say good night. God bless it. Stay safe.
1: Good night. Thank you. I say that.
0: And that was that. And I'll be back. No regrets, no complaints. Lived a life with no restraints. The little kid they all counted out Proved them all wrong, that's without a doubt Laying there with my left side numb Five year bout with polio, but yes I won From standing all corners like How many pens you want to living in a bakery Then opening my own restaurant Of course I had some help along the way Friends like Frank Costello that I miss each and every day Things from many years ago still resonate